Welcome to the OWP. This is our wrestling podcast. This is Dave along with Jess. Good evening, Dave. Cuz. What a rush. And Craig. Cuz stole my intro. That's a good one. Bringing you our perspective on the world of professional wrestling. I should have done that. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards, sharing opinions with you. And now on to our topic today, the legend of the Road Warriors. Hit us up on Instagram at OWP2019. Click on Linktree. You can find us on several platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. But don't forget, we're also part of the WrestleHub family. It's all about wrestling podcasts. Catch them at the WrestleHub on YouTube and Instagram. Guys, we got to turn this one around quick, but it's a sad, sad day. It's great to be here at the Legend of the Road Warriors. What's that good? I said it's great to be here at the Legend of the Road Warriors. Yeah, the legend of the warrior. I almost said the lit, the legend of the legion. The of legacy. <laughs> well, th- well, I want to say legacy, but these guys are legends, right? I mean, make it a little are. bit different. These guys are legends. Like, we like we were talking about off the air earlier, people were calling us that hadn't talked to us in a while because we're weird and we're wrestling fans. And hey, did you hear about Animal? We're like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. How did you hear about it? Or, I was completely or, surprised at the number of people that did reach out in kind of shock. More, I think I was saying this before. Uh, more than more than Piper, I think more than like Macho. I was just like, oh, I mean, that that's the testament to how powerful that tag team was. But um, and again, it's just and it's kind of uh, shocking. But I'm glad we're doing this. And this is a good idea to kind of uh, quickly kind of uh, do this while it's still fresh. Yeah, just good on you, buddy. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> 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 oh man, should we be laughing right now? I don't know. No. I'm just saying. Hawk we, would want we, that. We Animal and Hawk would want that. We lost, uh, you know, Joseph Laurinaitis. You know, you better laugh something. during my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're gonna get into it today. It was a really good time, I think, for us to really go over uh, that whole legacy of the Road Warriors, aka the Legion of Doom, depending on when and where you're talking about them. Uh, you guys ready to jump in? Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. Hawk was born Michael Hicksrand on January 26, 1957. And Animal was born Joseph Laurinaitis on December 12th of 1960. Uh, Animal grew up in Minnesota uh, while he and Hawk worked as bouncers at Grandma B's nightclub in the Twin Cities. They caught the eye of wrestling trainer and promoter Ed Sharkey. He, along with Hawk, Richard uh, Richard Rude, Barry Dorso, those were the star students for Sharky back in those days. I love how Grandma B sounds like a really nice like diner club, He's but it was apparently the roughest, toughest, most shadiest nightclub yeah. in Min- uh, in Minnesota, where they <laughs> where all, like, all, the, all the dregs hung out. I also where love how they talked about to see how far <laughs> they can throw somebody out the door. Grandma before food. they land, before they actually. Where, where are you going to be tonight? I won't be at Grandma, Grandma B's. You know that. <laughs> Grandma B's, baby. You need me. I'll be at Granny B's. Yeah, oh. better pay your tab, bitches. <laughs> you imagine seeing these guys as bouncers? Oh I wouldn't want to start any shit. I'm just saying. No. Two three hundred pound guys going. Um, You're going to mouth off to like hawk an animal. Well, and that's how uh, uh, they got noticed by Sharky. Animal got noticed by Sharky because he and I don't remember who he said was his partner at the time, bouncing partner. Uh, they threw the shit out of somebody out of the bar and yeah. Sharky was walking up and looked and just said, who the fuck threw that guy and kind of <laughs> looked and right. saw animal there. And he's like, I, you should come train to be a pro wrestler. And so that's kind of how Sharky discovered him because yeah, they uh, discovered animal animal first, and then there was a picture that he had where he thought he's like, I'm looking for this guy. You know, he's like, no, that's not, that's not Joe. That's Mike. He's like, there's 
there's two of these guys. These guys are massive. And yeah. that's kind of how it started, right? According to the, you know, the legends. And then, yeah, yeah according to uh, Animal, the first time he met Hawk, he was benching. And then uh, Hawk just slapped him palm first in the middle of the bench and said something like, you should lift more weight. Like, that was his, like, <laughs> hi, I'm Hawk. What's your name? Or I, I, I want to be. I want to be your friend. I'm Michael. Yeah, Slap you right across his chest while you're benching 300 pounds. Nice to meet you, Joseph. <laughs> Slap. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of the beginning. The beginning of the World Wars, though, was in 1983-84. Animal would begin wrestling for Ole Anderson in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Right before a show, Animal's partner couldn't make it. Ole then called Hawk to fill in. They would be placed in a heel stable managed by a precious Paul Ellering called the Legion of Doom. The group consisted of Hawk and Animal, that were the World Warriors, um, Jake Roberts, and the Spoiler. That was the uh, that was the match, Jess? No, that was the, the Legion of Doom faction. I did that not was the know that it was faction. Ah, Jake first. That so blew Jake my Roberts mind. And the Spoiler were part yeah, of and Hawk, uh, Hawk came up with the name Legion of Doom. It was him and Jake Roberts were talking about it, and so that's when... Uh, that Hawk was like, why don't we just be Legion of Doom? And Hawk used to do the voice to now back to the Legion of, you know, that when you watch the Super Friends, that cartoon and that voice, the voiceover that would be like, and now back to the halls of justice. Like, yeah. He, so Hawk would do that a lot. And he's like, why don't we just be the Legion of Doom? Because we're a bunch of villains. And so that stuck. So. Love it. That's Jake, awesome. Jake was like, yeah. let's do it. And there's no one kind of more of an enigma than Paul Ellering. The more you hear about Paul Ellering, like he literally was a manager in every respect, like uh, book them and plan for them. And towards the end of the documentary, he kept the van that they first um, drove together in. And apparently um, he would always kind of, he was very smart and just always, always reading backstage um, some kind of newspaper or whatever. So there's all this. Yeah. He literally managed them because like they were, Especially the, the, Hawk was like a runaway train, so he would be like, "Get the fuck up!" Like he would always call him every morning, "Get up, come down to the, put your clothes on, come down to the lobby, bring your take stuff, a shower, like, yeah, yeah come down." Like, and so he just was that kind of guy. He can't, if it hadn't been for him, I don't know if we have uh, the Road Warriors last no, as long not, as not in this capacity. Yeah, I think, no, uh, you have a great eighty-three to eighty-six run, maybe. And, yeah, and he right. and he was booking, but he was booking like. Like everything for them. He would book, you know, inside, yeah, outside, he would go to Japan for them. He was booking everything. Like, get on a plane, let's go. We're going tomorrow. Um, he he knew that the the capability of them, but he also knew they really had to be managed. It wasn't even a question. Yeah. So and he, when he speaks of them, he speaks with so much love and reverence. Like he loved those guys. They're brothers, man. They're all brothers. They they were working together for 30 years, right? Something crazy. Well, I mean for Hawk, maybe not, but <laughs> but uh anywho, that stable of the Legion of Doom would be short-lived. The Road Warriors would break off on their own and keep Paul Erlin as their manager. The three would be referred to as the Legion of Doom, but Hawk and Animal's team would always be known as the Road Warriors at this time. They immediately caught fire with their size, strength, and appearance, uh, face paint, and shoulder spikes. They would become a major attraction for GCW and win their tag titles there on three separate occasions. They gained a reputation for being very stiff and not selling much. Because they could. Move into the ring. We have not seen them for uh, some time, but obviously they are under uh, the management of one uh, precious Paul Ellering. They- <laughs> that Just was, that's the big key. You know, whoever, I don't know the age group of people that listen to us, but people in their 20s and probably 30s don't know 
how important the territories were. And these guys were the epitome of when you take your act on the road, you want the act to strike a chord no matter what territory, whether you go to Georgia or you go to New York or you go to Jersey or you go to California or you go to Texas, you needed like a gimmick that would kind of resonate everywhere because each booker of each territory was very different. So you would go to new territories to keep yourself from getting stale at one particular place. Their look and their size did it all. There was no argument. Like everybody else would be like, oh man, I got to, you know, I'm kind of stale here in the Carolinas. So I think I'm going to go to Georgia, you know, and work over there for Oli. I hope Oli books me right. I hope I give him what he wants. The Road Warriors were never worried about how they were booked because they were literally from the beginning like, yeah, we're not fucking losing and we're not getting knocked off our feet, by the way. And because nobody could really do it. And I know that right. sounds ignorant and they might have been a little green and ignorant about here back here. And in some people in shooting interviews recently have said, yeah, you know, in the beginning, they were hard to work with because they were super stiff and all they wanted to do was kick the shit out of you and look good. But but they could fit that bill. They wore yeah. those pants. And so, OK, like and, and it, you cannot respect it. But at the same time, they literally made a 30 year span out of it. I mean, my God. And, you know, I think Paul Ellering kind of helped them get smarter as it went. And you could see as we get along too, you know, when they eventually go to NWA, when they eventually go to WWF, they learned a lot of stuff. You could tell the way they played to the crowd, the way they acted. Um, They were good pro wrestlers. They understood what they needed to do here. It's like they were just (laughs) huge men and they were experimenting with their face paint and their shoulder pads. And and it was catching fire. Everybody was even if they were heels, people were like, those guys are awesome. Like. And they're murdering yeah. people. Could you imagine like a 50-50 match with Hawk and Animal and anybody else? No. Like, no. With Greg like, Gagne and. Yeah, like, with Greg no. Gagne and the Crusher with his big beer belly. Like, yeah. no, well, that's not going to happen. Uh, chicken wings them. Yeah. Or no. Yeah, I you mean, get Oli in there. No offense. Oli's kind of like a like, I'm not trying to be like a trollish kind of guy. Yeah, he talks like a shock master. And, you know, balding hair on his chest and stuff. And then you look over and you see Hawk and Animal and you're like, well. No, I don't believe at yeah. all that Oli can do anything to them. Yeah. Yeah. So Larry uh, yeah. the Axe Henning's going over tonight in AWA. <laughs> right. Guys, yeah. No. And Hawk and in fact, like, I remember I was traumatized by an old AWA videotape, and it might have been Kurt Henning with his neck stuck in the ropes. And I think it might have was it the road wires that hit him with a chair. And it he's probably ble- was. and Henning is bleeding like a stuck pig with his neck still stuck in the ropes. <sighs> and it was like I was too young. And I was just like, oh man, I was just like, it's real and he's dying in the yep. in the ring. <laughs> in the AWA. I could be wrong, could have been the sheep. Well, like, no, you're right. Nobody heard from wrestling. nobody heard from Kurt Henning again after that. Nobody knows <laughs> <what happened again. laughs> You're right. Right. You're yeah, totally right. That could be true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, my, that's my memories of them earlier. You know, you, you talk about the territories and a lot of people don't get it. You know, you could look back and a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, they were all show and they were just uh, you know bullies and they didn't ever want to lose. I'm like, well, if you were respond, if you're an independent contractor and you're responsible for getting your own one man show or two man show in their case over, you do whatever you have to do to go to different territories to get hired by them, too. So they didn't they just. They solved not that to, problem. Not to mention, like, Jess, they, they put butts in the seats, man. Yes. Right. Exactly. And every yeah. single magazine uh, at that point, too, uh, um, Wrestler, PWI, they were color spreads all through. Like, they and were. Dave, they were you'll get to it at the end when you do the championships and accomplishments at the end. They Like, they were getting awards in 83 and 84. That's their rookie and sophomore yeah, years. Yeah. Like, the Green, fuck? Like, man. Jesus. Greenhorns. So, yeah, not, sorry, not go really. on. Badass. Never, never had a wrestler as a greenhorn, anyway. 
Like jumping to the AWA four, the Road Warriors would take their act to the AWA owned and ran by Vern Gagne. They would capture the AWA tag team titles very quickly upon their arrival. Weighing 235 pounds from Robbinsdale, Minnesota, part of the axe attack, Kurt Hennig! His tag team partner from the Republic of Germany, weighing 283 pounds, the Clawmaster, Baron von Raschka! And ladies and gentlemen, in the ring to my left, accompanied by their manager, Precious Paul Ellering, with a combined weight of 565 pounds from Chicago, Illinois, the AWA Tag Team Champions of the World, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. They were brought in as heels, but their dominance, especially in squash matches, was just getting naturally over with the crowd. This is what they were capable of doing. They were the promotion's top draw, feuding with the fabulous ones and the Freebirds. It was here when they began to use Iron Man. We're not losing I'm, tonight. Yeah. <laughs> what? No, I I'm dare. I dare. My song. <laughs> We're not losing I dare any tag team to walk in the door right now and tell yeah. Michael P.S. Hayes, oh, hey, Hawking Animal. Yeah, no. <laughs> you no son of a bitch. Hey, Hawk, I want to get my shit in. This is what I do. <laughs> yeah, pee on okay. you when you're passed out on a plane. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a rush. It's like that. Not tr- so mean, it was at this time they began to use Iron Man by Black Sabbath as their theme music. Uh, but they had shortly left the company a, in just two short years about. in 86. What? What an amazing you should have came out to work yeah. gigs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good luck getting that one in. See if you can get that clip in, Jess, without uh, <laughs> yeah. getting get cut out. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, but as we move forward to 86 through 1990, there were some slices of NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, and, and All Japan Pro Wrestling for them. In 85, the Road Warriors began to tour Japan mainly under All Japan Pro Wrestling. I think this is where Ellering was getting real smart. You want to make some money? Let's go overseas. And he started booking them over there. Uh, They would easily become the attraction and win the NWA International Tag Team titles on March 12th of 1987. They would constantly uh, tour Japan until 1990. But in 86, they had also joined Jim Crockett Promotions of the NWA. They would win the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup, which was an annual tag team tournament by defeating Ron Garvin and Magnum T.A. in the finals. That's Chiffon Ellery. Hey, Tony Chiffon, let me say the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup. The Warriors going to be there in Louisiana, and we're going to take that cup home. We do what we say. You know some Tony Giovanni. We're what this thing is country's all about. It's a violent society, and we're the product of our environment. What we say we're going to do, we do, and we get it done. Let me tell you something, Russians. If we want that six-man competition, we'll take it home with us. And let me tell you something, Nikita. That's good company to be in. Yeah. They they splashed big. When they went to Crockett Promotions, it was natural. They were the biggest NWA territory pretty much at the time, and like when they went over there, it was like, well, yeah, like, of course, they're going to come over here. And of course, they're going to make a lot of money for us. And of course, we need to push them because they're a tag team. So, yeah, they really right away. But what I, I find really interesting and, and you're going to tell the story here in NWA and WWF, they like AWA and Georgia Championship Wrestling right away. They're like, put the tag belts on them. But when they went here to Crockett and when they went to Vince, it was like, wait a minute, don't. And because they saw something, they're just like. 
are we selling out now because of them? Yes. And what the fuck are you doing? Why don't put the belt on them yet? Yeah. And I find that very interesting with Hawk and Animal in a good way. Uh, and I find it really smart by promoters to do that because yeah. Vince has chase, always bro. tried. He's always tried to do that. I mean, think about what Vince did with, uh, you know, after the rock and wrestling era died out, he was trying to keep Taker on the middle card, have Brett as champion, or keep Brett in the middle card, have Sean as champion. And he was trying to layer his card. So-and-so doesn't need the belt. So-and-so could be champion, but the other one doesn't need to be champion because his gimmick is so over. They always felt like that with Hawk and Animal. Vince, including when he went, when they finally went to WWF, which you'll read later, they were not in a rush to put the tag titles on them, which I find very interesting because when you get someone like Hawk and Animal, your first instinct would be, to, well, we're going to put the fucking straps on them. But it wasn't with them. It was always, I don't know. I don't know if it was hesitancy when they got on the bigger stage with I the Crockett's and the McMahons because they were like, well... They're a little hard to do business with, and they don't ever want to right. lose. They have so no loyalty, so why put yeah. the belts on? Why put the belts so on? I don't, the yeah, and that's a good point can. too. I, I, that's why I think it's so interesting because it ended up being the right move. Because if you have an act that already sells out, you don't need to rush and put the belts on them. Right. But you're right. Mo the early promoters were like, "Yes, do it. Put the belts on them. They're 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 selling tickets. So let's get the belts on them and make them champions." Uh, but the other guys were like, mm. Hang on, we it's have. A, it's a different world, isn't it? When you go from that territory to the WWF, it's it's about that chase. Well, you Vince want them to get to the next, you know? yeah, uh, and then he's big, big, next big event. So if you can chase, if you got him chased for three major pay per views and finally went on the fourth one, that's a year, and you're selling out tickets all the way through because somebody wants to see, everybody wants to see them eventually win those titles or climb up to win them. So, and then um, Vince, I think this has always been a guy that like different mentality, right? Vince has always been a guy yeah, that's Vince. like attractions don't necessarily need belts either. And yeah. those guys were, right. were kind of the pop was so big. You're a character, pal. And it's yeah. over. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> he, knew, he knew how to handle really the fine. characters. Yeah. The stars. There's a lot of guys like that where it's the philosophy. You know, I say, why didn't he ever win a title? Didn't need it. Didn't need it. Although we're um, talking, we're, we're crediting Vince and we're, uh, in probably 15 minutes, we're going to talk about like Rocco probably, and uh, yeah, not probably not probably down, we so. will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all crazy. Well, not what? to be a dick, but how many titles did Jake win? You know, Shit. right? No, it's true. It, it is true. Didn't need oh, it. he had the gimmick. There you go. He had the gimmick. He Vince told you. I told you. Yeah, Vince. God right. dang it. <laughs> but, but anyway, I'm doing a slide off my finger. Listen up. <laughs> <laughs> but back back to uh back to those uh, I told you they were so hot. Dusty Rhodes actually made them a feature part of the 1986 Great yeah, American Match Tour. In November of '86, they competed for the first ever ever scaffold match at Starcade. Still don't understand this bad boy. Scaffold uh, matches Skywalkers. Dumb. Fucking stupid. Sorry. Yeah. It's called Starcade Skywalkers, and they defeated the Midnight Express there. The only thing that's that's really memorable about this is the infamous Jim Cornette fall from the scaffold, and he legit <laughs> blew out both of his knees. It's horrifying. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to fall with the fucking cage. Like, that's what he did, probably, at the yeah. end. They're probably He's trying to work out the match in the back. Oh, everyone <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'll fall. Like, and they're like, all right, Jim, don't fall. Jim will do it. And then oh, he did it. Ah, both his knees. He just overswings his legs. Ah, it's yeah. so... Oh. Well, you know how to fall, man. Kenny Omega style. You know, I don't know how many people. I, yeah, I don't know how many people know how to fall from a fucking scaffold though in 1986. No. Yeah, no. what do you expect? I don't know how to fall from a freaking scaffold at 20 feet high. Like, but Crockett was like, just do it. Dusty's like, baby, go out and do it. It's fine. You, you be, you be fine, okay. <laughs> it's if just I a little scaffold. Boy, you owe me later. <laughs> you know what's funny is you, you, you think you think Dusty even felt a little bit guilty about that. 
Nah. No, baby. He's like, no, nah, baby. <laughs> Send him to the hospital. He'll be fine. Be fine, baby. Jim, we're going, Jim. We're going to have to ask something of you if you have a second. He's like, I'm. You're going to the scaffold tonight if you dig. He's like, I'll fuck you, Dusty. And he goes out and does it. Like, fine. What if, what if, what if, what if Dusty was like Vince and he's he's like, I'm going to throw you how to do it first. And he's like jumped off. <laughs> he looked like perfectly yeah, on his feet. He did like a front flip off yeah. it. And, <laughs> Just like that, baby. Oh, well, if he can do it, I can fucking do it. Oh, well, fuck, Dustin. Every, every time Vince does That's it, he'll see? See? It's fine. He did it right on my feet, baby. It's fine. He's like, oh, well, shit. And you did this place. <laughs> God damn it. Turning face, they would team with Dusty Rhodes against the Four Horsemen. They would compete in the Great American Bash Tour in the first ever War Games cage match. Turner, my girlfriend, and Mel Gibson in the Thunderdome, right? And I see this cage. And I see this top on the cage. And I know through the years in my industry, the cage match has always been a big part, especially down south, when you blew off matches. And so I said, has there ever been two rings with a cage, one cage covering both rings with, uh, with the top on it and two doors at each end? And uh, their team would defeat the Horsemen in both War Games matches. They would also win the NWA six-man tag team titles on two occasions with Dusty Rhodes. They would win by DQ against Arn and Tully at Starcade in 87, but failed to win the NWA Tag Team titles. They would be in a brief but violent feud with the Warlord and the Barbarian. See, that's someone who could take them out, in my opinion. It's one of the few, right? That's why they did but it. When the Warlord and Barbarian yeah. found out they were scheduled to lose every match against them, they quit the NWA and went to work for the WWS as the Powers of Pain. By the way, besides prelim matches, how many matches did they win in the WWF? Right. Yeah, the, the fate was pretty much determined on both companies for them. I mean, really, it's funny how Demolition get the Road Warrior wannabes kind of monkier. But like yeah. to me, the powers of pain were always Road Warrior ripoffs. They looked almost just like them. All yeah. they had to do was wear shoulder Makeup pads. Like that's all they had to do. Their mohawks, their face paint, everything was the yeah. same as LOD. And uh, and I always thought it was funny that obviously Demolition was a derivative of the Road Warriors, but at the same time, like powers of pain were a fucking straight up copy like they were just trying to look like road warriors but crockett used that before they even went to the wwf and it was a like what you said dave the whole point behind the feud was these guys look like them and they're they're their matches they're their equals and so they kind of played off that but yeah they found out pretty much like we're gonna lose every match to the road warriors fuck you we're leaving and they left and they went to the and we'll lose every major match in wwf instead so that's yeah. fine they probably got paid more anyway it's fine Get paid more. Why not? Yeah, that's what I say. If, if you're going to lose, you might as well go get paid more to lose. Yeah. I missed a couple minutes, but you guys are talking TV. about Powers of Pain being the real Road Warriors. I'm on board with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> they were, man. They were. Telling you. Yeah. If it was a real fight, who would win? Seriously. Right. Oh, that's You know what? That, oh, Road Warriors, right? No, I, I don't know. If they, were, if they competed oh. in Raw Underground, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Raw Underground. I don't know. So, ah, oh, goodness. The Road Warriors turned heel by attacking Sting in mid-1988. They would finally win the NWA Tag Titles on October 29th, 1988 by defeating the Midnight Express. Is this memorable, Jess? When did they come in? They came in at 86, and when did you say they won the titles? In 88? 88. Wow. Uh, yeah, but they were, October, in they were in October. They were in matches. Dusty trusted them. They were in the first two War Games matches ever. They were uh, oh, a centerpiece the of the Great American Bash Tour uh, in the summer of uh, 86. So, like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, they leaned on them heavily 
for almost two years, and they finally win the tag titles in a house show in 1988 so by beating the Midnight Express. Crazy. It's in a great. house show? Yeah, oh at a house God. show. At Dusty Rhodes' house. <laughs> at Dusty Rhodes' house. <laughs> I have a scaffold deal, too, basically. I brought you all here together to break bread with you, and you guys are dropping the titles in my living room in a second to Road Warriors. I still have anyway, a scaffold at my house. Slam it through the glass table. <laughs> If you go up back, I have a scaffold set up <laughs> yeah. in my backyard. If anybody would like to wrestle on it, that'd be fine. Hold on. Dustin, get the fuck up. Worst Stop idea. Dustin, yeah. he's an asshole. Unless it comes out of a box. <laughs> this is interesting what you got here, Jess. In November of 88, the World Warriors were directly involved in an angle that was written by Dusty Rhodes that <laughs> actually got Dusty Rhodes fired as a head booker. <laughs> so I, I showed him how to do it, baby. Like, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> On the November 26, uh, 1988 episode of World Championship Wrestling, the Road Warriors remove one of the spikes from their shoulder pads and use it to gouge the eye of Dusty Rhodes in a brutal attack. That's awesome. That's insane. What's the problem? Yeah, he wrote that, and then I guess this is at a time where uh, Turner had already bought Crockett about like two months before, so they were really uh, looking at it. I want to get, say trying to get it more kid friendly then. Yeah, Jim Hurd was just coming into no, Jim Hurd wasn't in power yet. But but Dusty was under a lot of scrutiny. What happened was really quick, Crockett out of nowhere realized, "Oh fuck, we're spending way more money than we're bringing in." Because they would fly literally fly the horsemen on private jets every night to shows. They would literally fund flare buying uh, I bought an island. Okay, fuck. Rick bought an island. Like, and it was just sort of like they were just spending a lot of money. This was during wrestling boom period in like the mid to late 80s. So there was money everywhere. And Crockett was doing great. But what happened was is they started dabbling in the pay-per-view industry and trying to match Vince at that point, kind of like mid to late 80s. And it didn't work out well for them. So they were putting – and they were trying to branch out of the East Coast, which Vince was mastering with Hogan because Hogan had this appeal so he could go anywhere – Whereas like Jim Crockett was sort of still dealing with other territories and the NWA was still kind of a territory championship. And, you know, they were the biggest territory, but they were trying to figure out how do we compete with Vince? Well, the only way to compete with Vince is to buy your fucking father's company and quarantine it and do your own thing. That was the only way you were going to be like Vince. Vern tried it with the AWA, but he didn't have the gumption. He didn't have the foresight like Vince did because Vince was a lot younger, a lot more creative. Crockett was like, well, I'm going to match them strategy for strategy. I'm going to try to match them with pay-per-view. I'm going to try to match them going to the East Coast. West. And they didn't. Every time they went out of their market, they would fucking tank when they would draw houses. And yeah. it was bad. And so that, that's what Hogan happened. Money. So out of nowhere, they're like, we're broke. So then Turner, yeah. who's been a huge wrestling you fan. You can't spend Hogan money if you don't have Hogan, right. Jess. I mean, exactly. You have me, bro. Look, that's, a, that's a very good point. So Turner came in and said, well, I'll buy it. I love wrestling. World Championship Wrestling, uh, Georgia World Championship Wrestling especially, really helped me keep ratings up on TBS. So I'll buy it. So he bought it. So at, after he bought it, now it becomes part of this big corporation. So now people, everyone's looking at it and attendance and, and buy rates and everything hugely declined from 1987 to 1988 because the last ditch moves that Crockett did before he sold damaged a lot of their mainstay uh, territories. So basically like he pissed Chicago off, he pissed Carolina off, he pissed a lot of different places off. Then they sold. People are still mad at the company. And then Turner decides to be like, well, the best thing to do is to copy Vince, if this makes any sense what I'm saying right now. So it's just, it's just one. It was like this two-year span where just they made like everything they did was wrong. And so it was just and it led into a sale of a company and Turner got his arms around it. And then Turner tried to put suits on it. 
you know, like you would any other company, CEOs, execs, you know, to try to figure out pro wrestling. No idea how wrestling works. Never knew. So they were all over Dusty. You know, the the whole year before, ratings were declining, attendance was sucking. By the end of 88, it was hard for them to draw houses. And so now you have Dusty on TV saying, get your spike, stick it up my butt, do whatever you got to (laughs) do. And so like they... So they were like, no, that shit's super fucking violent. Like Vince is having smashing success with kids and you are shoving a spike in someone's eye. So I thought you why? said butt. It, sorry, I did I say butt? I meant eye. Uh, <laughs> so, I got to show myself how to do it. So uh, I, do baby, a I meant eye too. <laughs> I meant eye too when animal really stuck it in my butt. So my fault. Anyway. Rose right in the face. Oh, oh my God. God, he's putting his eye. He's put the spike in his eye. He is jabbing him in the eye or has with the spike. He unhooked it from his shoulder pads or whatever it was. And he's jabbing in Dusty's eye. He's opened Dusty up. This is horrible. that spike right in his eye. The road warriors, they are are trying to blind him. They stuck that spike right in his eye. Road is bleeding. I'm fired. Okay. So um, what I originally want to do with fall off, I'll get my bag. Okay. My butt landed on the spike. That's what I <laughs> already packed. So basically, so, yeah, they were just like, look, you, you can't be Booker anymore. So because of this angle that Hawk and Animal just did what they were told, like sure. they were like way too violent. We we want to scale this shit down a little bit. We want to be more. The, the other guy that we're trying to copy, super successful by being bubblegummy and kitty. So why would you do that? Why? How is, is this going to fix your problem? You know, is that when Dusty went to WWF for a spell? And- yeah. Shortly after he got fired from Booker, and then shortly after that, I don't remember how long. He was in WWF in 1989. I think his first pay-per-view was SummerSlam 89. So I would say probably three months later, Rhodes was gone. And probably he had to, to work w- out his non-compete clause, and then if he had mm-hmm. one. So 90 days, and, and then put on the it, polka dots, baby. Yeah. And it sucks they never made money from it, but it, as far as perception, when you, if you were a fan back then, you did treat great, NWO, NWA as the, like, the, the, the more real, legitimate, like uh kind of fan and you watch that so that it didn't bother like um that spike or anything like legitly uh, you know everyone gravitated toward ecw in the mid 90s but you go back and watch a lot of 86 and 87 crockett stuff that shit that was ecw for the rock and era they bled yeah. all the time ask flair he'll tell you and Rhodes bled all the time too but they were like it was it was physical and yeah. i'll never forget you know like shivani and and gordon soley and then jim ross eventually would just be like this physical no one compares no one like and they would just get it was all energy and like so if you didn't like vince and what he was doing or even if you did like him you would turn yeah, over to right. the nwa and be like this shit seems oh, a little bit more i'm hearing slaps of flesh i'm hearing you know a lot yeah. of stuff that i don't hear on wwf programming and and so, it was it was yeah like they were doing it right. They just didn't spend their money right, yeah. and they had to sell quickly. Well, they, were, they were doing a lot of things wrong, and, and nothing wrong with this with this particular write-up, right, Jess, is that the fans are not going to turn on the Road Warriors. <laughs> so no matter – they could kill somebody, say, you know, as people say, and they would still be faces. So <laughs> they had to turn them faces again because the crowd wouldn't boom, even even in this in – this tri- where they're trying to push them into the, into the heel tactics. This didn't work out. They would lose the NWA tag titles uh, to Mike Rotunda and oh no! I read the notes this. the way I wrote the them. Name. I'm just reading the notes, ladies and gentlemen. The motherfucking cocksucking Kevin wow. Sullivan. Wow. I love how it says at the Cash of Champions. It's the Clash of Champions oh, on yeah. April 2nd of 1989. Jess was typing super fast. He put out six pages talking. like in two minutes. So yeah, that I, I definitely don't understand that. But um, in the summer 
in fall of 89, they would feud and defeat the Wild Samoans and the Skyscrapers. They competed in the Tag Team Round Robin Tournament in Starcade of 89. Uh, Future Shock was that was that particular pay-per-view. On December 13th of 89, they would ultimately win the tournament on points, but lose their only match of the night to the Steiner Brothers. Gentlemen, Hawk and Animal, this coming Wednesday night in the Iron Team Division, it's going to be physical, fellas. No substitute, Ross! There's a lot going on in the NWA! Sting Muda, Flair Funk, Luger, the Four Horsemen back, the Road Warriors are here! You got the Steiners! Do Starcade, which separates the NWA from everybody else. We have real athletes here, and if you don't like it, we don't care. Now, Doom, Skyscrapers, and Wednesday night, you're going to pay Starcade, Future Shock. We're going to prove to everybody who the Iron Man really are. Tell them, brother. Well, you know. Me and Animal Jim, we don't carry health insurance. You want to know why? We don't need to. Thumbs up, thumbs down on that match? Um, Starcade was a very mixed bag. It was very ambitious, the round robin tournament. I do recommend that anybody go back and watch it because I will give WCW credit here. They were trying. And the whole uh, Starcade 89 concept was there was a singles round robin tournament and a tag team. And I want to say there was four singles wrestlers and four tag teams in each one. And basically, you every combination wrestled. So, like, on the tag team, I want to say it was Wild Simones, the Road Warriors, the Steiners, and Doom. So Doom wrestled the Steiners. Road Warriors wrestled the uh, Simone SWAT team. Doom wrestled the Simone SWAT team. Steiners wrestled Road Warriors. Steiners wrestled Doom. You know what I mean? Steiner's wrestling. So everybody had to fight each other. And if you won by pin, it was like 40 points. If you won by count out or DQ, it was 20 points, whatever. So, and yeah, so yeah it was a point system. So LOD won the entire tournament by getting the most points, but their only match they lost, they lost to the Steiners. Like, so they were trying to push the Steiners. And I would say, honestly, if you go back and look at that booking, that's genius. They didn't want to job the Road Warriors out to the Steiners, but they knew the Steiners were their future tag team. And everybody knows that. When Hawk and Animal would leave, what tag team ruled the roost over there? Steiner Brothers. And so it, it was very smart. Road Warriors won, didn't lose any face, but they lost to this upcoming team. It was a close match, too. Um, so that was awesome. I, I really liked the booking on that. Go back and watch the entire pay-per-view. The scoring system it, was a little, it was a little muddled, and it was just hard. And like Craig said, that's silly talk, and you're trying to keep score, and who has how many points. And if you carry the four with that disqualification, you have 45. But what you have is is, is, is you're at 25 because you had a 10-minute match with a, a count-out. Yeah, yeah, it was. They tried. They really did try. But but yes, I mean, they were still, again, they take the titles off them. And, and why the fuck they put them on uh, Mike Rotundo and Kevin Sullivan? I'll never know. But they put the t- they take the titles off, but they're still pushing they're them. Like they're still BD. they're still a highlight in the tag team division yet. So it's weird. It's yeah. very weird what they did. So. It, not to go off but topic. But it might make sense because they 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 were having disagreements with Jim, with Jim Hurd, and they made their last pay per view appearance at Capital Combat. That's a fantastic name. A return of Robocop. on May nineteenth of nineteen ninety. So they left the company uh, the very next month after that pay per view oh. appearance. Because uh, of RoboCop. That <laughs> totally makes sense. They refused to chop to RoboCop. <laughs> Jim Bird's like, you need to lose a RoboCop. So it's Ed 209 and RoboCop. Stuff. This They're is going the over. World Wrestling Federation 
<laughs> the Road Warriors went to work for Vince in June of 1990. Vince did not want to use the Road Warriors name because his top act of the name was the Ultimate Warrior. Can we call bullshit I think on it that, says something like he had like three Warriors already, right? Yeah, it's all copyright. But still, yeah, I think it's Vince wanting to erase and then... I want to own everything. Yeah, of course. Oh, even though they did use Legion of Doom before, it was like, yeah, he just wants to strip you of whatever. You see, you he didn't have to that. know that. I mean, what are the chances that Vince even knew? What about Legion of Doom? That sounds great. That, that's he, a good point. He didn't. That's great. why he's a great idea. Yeah, great and idea. Glad I thought of it. Yeah, you someone told him they've been using it for 15 years. But and what's yeah. interesting too is the Legion of Doom was the the bad guy group in the Justice League. So yeah. I don't know how that wasn't copyrighted the whole time. You would think Vince would be very sensitive to that. The Road oh, Warriors, wow. no. But like the Legion of Doom, yes. Well, like if if the That's World so Wildlife Federation can the see Avengers. you, why, why can't why can't you know a cartoon? <laughs> I mean, the Legion of Doom will feud with the Avengers. You're now <laughs> Spider Man. You're <laughs> you're Hogan. Hulk. Hogan, you're put on an Iron Man costume and just shut up. Put it on. <laughs> <laughs> so they decided to use their stable name Legion of Doom. They still kept their individual names of Hawk and Animal. Uh, Chris has left the building. Well, listen to the explosion here, Brain. Look at that. There's two people there that just don't care. Legion of Doom making their debut here on Wrestling Challenge. They've come here to the World Wrestling Federation with only one thing in mind, Brain. Yeah, to kick some people around. They, want the- they debuted as faces without Paul Ehrling as their manager. A natural feud was against the WWF version of the Road Warriors, Demolition. LOD ran down to the ring at SummerSlam 1990 and cost Demolition their WWF Tag Team Championships. Uh, due to Axe having health issues, the Demolition team would have to tour their house shows with LOD as Smash and Crush, the fans didn't really take to this very well because they had long been wanting the original members of Demolition to feud with LOD in a dream match. LOD was also teamed with the Ultimate Warrior on House Show Loops to compete in a six-man tag against Demolition when Axe could actually go when he was healthy. What what was going on with Axe, Jess, at the time? Uh, I know his health was failing. He had a shellfish allergy that he didn't know about. Um, I think that was the big deal. I think he always had a cardio problem, uh, something with his uh, cardiovascular. But he went, and I'm just trying to remember the story off the top of my head. He had some kind of shellfish somewhere and didn't know he had an allergy to it, and it reacted really bad. So he was sick, and I don't know if he ate it often or if it's just that one time it was like, like a parasite thing. I don't I remember. Everyday uh, shrimp. I dude, it, <laughs> it will never turn on me. Uh, like, and then like, <laughs> sick. Guys, I feel like crap again. Can't, I can't understand it. Well, Why don't you cut out self I, nah, I got up. That's I had a lot of water. I worked out. Went to the shrimp buffet, like I always do. And then yeah, I... Boy, I well, this morning I felt like shit. I'm gonna go to the shrimp buffet and I'll come back and I'll see how I feel. 
<laughs> and Axe was always old. When Demolition, he'd been in there a long time. He was, he was always an older guy. Demolition, 85. I don't know if anybody knows that. That's true. Yeah. And they're still going. Yeah, he's still, I mean, he's still on WWE television right now. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't, some kind of a weird thing he had going on. So he was, it, it, he had a cardio issue to begin with. And then on top of that, the shellfish thing. So that's what happened. And they brought Crush in to be the third member and they did the Freebird rules thing. So it was just really odd. Can I say though, too, I admire Vince, but I get mad at him as a wrestling fan sometimes because even the flair thing that would happen a year later, he just fucked all of it up. Like, but he did it on purpose. Like he was like, you're coming to my company. You're going to, I'm going to absorb you in my machine and we're just going to do what I want. Same thing with flair. Yes. Everybody knew who flair was. People, most people knew who the road warriors were. Most did, but Vince did such a good job of quarantining his audience that like he, some people didn't. So Vince is just like, you got to come in. You got to remake yourself here because you know, we're the best and you don't, my people doesn't know shit about you. So if you want to come here and make money, you have to appeal to a national level. You can't just be popular on regional levels. So he got everybody to buy into that. You yeah, would no. think that that would be on Vince's mind, right? Or any other promoter would be like, oh, demolition and LOD. That's my fucking money. That's my tag team championship match. Like, that's oh. my tag team title feud. Vince is like, no, not so much. No, um, I don't even, I, matter of fact, the titles aren't even going to touch them for a while. Um, no. So we're not going to do that. And you it's just sort don't of. Don't take a spike out and stab that, somebody in the eye with it. Don't do that. Okay. God damn it, Vince. Like you had LOD and demolition. That's all we talked about as kids looking at magazine covers going, fuck, they no, they're not wannabes. They fucking do not fight each other. Like, and then we get them. We're like, here we go. And Vince is like, damn. Demolition's legit. What are you talking about? Yeah. And it's not going to be a big pay-per-view blow off. It's going to be house shows. And then do, 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 do Hogan warrior. And that's like, that's all he did. And it's like, so I respect it. But as a wrestling fan, I'm like, God damn it. Gate, man. He's going to keep making that house gate money. Right. Yeah. Keep going. But LED would destroy teams for the remainder of the 1990 year and the first half of 91. They would also team with Kerry Von Eric and the Ultimate Warrior yes. at Survivor Series of 1990. Yeah, Cuz remembers that one. You want to weigh in there, Cuz? Watched it again last night, too, actually. Yeah? It's just so sad to see, though, man. I'll, I'll, actually, when they're getting interviewed by Mean Gene, you're looking at the that. Whole and you're like, team, yeah, the whole team. Oh, and Mean Gene. Oh, it's sad because they're gone. Yeah, yeah, all of them. But it's crazy that wow. talent, like man, it, as a kid, especially that you know, that's what I was at this time. How could you not gravitate towards that team? How could you not? It's not about the Warriors. Yeah. yeah, it's not even just about the Warriors. It's about the war. No, the, the wasn't the, was the Warriors was the name of the tag team. Yeah, the Warriors. Yeah. Outside the, of WWF, all of them had a Warrior name except for when they went to WWF. Kerry yeah. Von Erich was known as the Modern the Day modern Warrior. War, yeah, the Modern Day Warrior. Uh, and then LOD was Road Warriors before they came in, and Ultimate Warrior had always been Ultimate Warrior. Here's the big money right here, guys. At SummerSlam of 91, they would finally get their first shot at the WWF Tag Team titles and defeat the Nasty Boys in a street fight. Nasty. And they pick up those first WWF Tag Team titles. Thumbs up, thumbs down, middle on this one? Uh, The match was okay, but it was at Madison Square Garden. I remember the the ovation after they won the titles, like the whole crowd chanted LOD for like five minutes. Like, so it was really cool. Like it, again, it was, you know, a year after they debuted for the most part and they finally get the tag titles. Vince was in no hurry. And, um, and I, I don't think it was an issue here. Like Craig stated earlier, I, I don't think Vince ever sweats anything about people coming in and not jobbing. Cause when you come WWF, it's told right away to you you do what that motherfucker tells you to do and vince is like hi like in the corner and he's just like he's the guy like so i don't think it was ever that's why i find it interesting that yeah cut your hair change your shit 
Um, I, I, that's why I find it interesting that Crockett and Vince did the same thing. Um, because I, I get what Craig says about early on. It's like, well, we don't kind of trust these guys. They don't ever want a job. But that was never an issue when they went to Vince. That You just didn't say that to them. We don't lose. Because I think it was Bubba Ray and Devon where they tell a famous interview where they were talking with Vince about signing. And Vince is like, well, you're going to sign autographs. You're going to do this. He's like, no, Vince, we're heels. We don't sign autographs. And Vince looked at him. He's like, if you want the fucking money I'm going to offer you, you will sign fucking autographs. You will do what I ask you to do. And you will make the most money you've ever made in your life. And Bubba said, he looked at Devon. He's like, Vince, we're going to sign those autographs. We're going to do everything you want. (laughs) Because like right then and then, the first meeting that you have with Vince, he's like, fuck everywhere else you are. This is the big time. I tell you what you're going to do. If you don't like that, get the fuck out of my office. Like he didn't care. Like he had the biggest names. Think about it. Like, mm-hmm. and he, and he neutered them and made them do what he wanted. LOD, Hogan, Flair, Warrior, Savage, Dusty. Like you could they go on and on. You do what I say, fuckers. I don't care what you want to do. It's kind of amazing. So I feel it's weird that Crockett did that probably out of fear, like Craig said, the, the trust issue. But Vince was just like, I just don't want to put the belts on you because of his philosophy of, well, if you're already over, why the fuck do I need right. to do that? I, I only know on one champion that tried to not to job out. We all know how that worked out with Vince. So, mm-hmm. hey, you don't tell Vince you're not losing. It doesn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. The pudding. Yeah. And that guy was oh, never Canada. heard from again. Yep. But <laughs> this would make LOD the only team to win the AWA, NWA, and WWF Tag Team Championships. This is a record that will never be broken. That's impressive. And people that weren't fans back in the day, you don't understand how important that was. Uh, they just give the titles to the guys. It's all fake. Okay, whatever. Like whatever. Definitely not in the other but two territories. No. Back then, back then, uh, you had to draw money, and you had to be important to wear titles. You did. Even in WWF, to a certain extent, you just did. And uh, that's... a. AWA was a big deal, like in the early and mid 80s. And so was the Crockett promotion. So was the NWA umbrella. And so was Vince. So to do that, like that was a big deal, like to win the AWA tag titles and then the NWA and then WWF. That's something. And like I said, because AWA folded in 91, that will never be broken. Nobody did. People came close, but they didn't do it. And it was uh, it's crazy like to think about that already in 1991, they were the greatest tag team probably ever at that point with their just their notoriety, their presence, their gimmicks. You could say what you want about their power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, like they they just were they looked awesome. And then they go into the land of the Giants in WWF, which people famously get swallowed up there sometimes, even if they're big in other territories. And they did not. And they conformed and they did what they were supposed to do. They were patient for that year and they win their tag titles. And that well, I know it's it's easy to look back on history and be like, whatever, that doesn't mean anything. It really did at the time. It was on the cover of every magazine that they were they held those three big titles and they were the first team to do it. And and then when and NWA the folded, it's like they nobody could do it ever, like at that point. So I, I mean that, that in nineteen ninety one already, right? Like well, we're gonna talk about they went on for years later still as LOD and did a lot of other important things, but man, like yeah, yeah. it was a big deal for them. And as a fan, I was like, Wow, like that's that's a huge deal. Like they they make a lot of money, basically, is what I thought. They make a kid. lot of money. Yeah. And it's still, it only took them a year in the land of the Giants to to take that title down. So, And then they would continue to dominate the WWF tag team scene. At the Royal Rumble of 92, they lost by DQ to the newly formed Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon. Yeah. This was an interesting feud because <laughs> the Natural Disasters were bigger than LOD. Big theme song. 
And oh, that's right. <laughs> you hear that? What a shot! What a shotgun going off! And that made for an interesting dynamic. Uh, Unfortunately, and that that probably could have developed into something great, but uh, unfortunately, Hawk and Animal were having contract issues in early 92. They had to drop the titles to Money, Inc., gosh darn it, (laughs) at a house (laughs) show in February of 92. They were taken off TV, but almost two months later, they were able to work those issues out. At WrestleMania 8, they appeared with their longtime manager, Paul Ellery, and probably Paul uh, Paul was long overdue to get them back on track in an interview segment. In reality, he was their actual agent. We talked about this before. He kept them on schedule. He made sure they made their dates. He, he scheduled them the dates that would make them a lot of money. He was a real manager. Um, but... It says Hawk had begun to struggle with addiction issues. I, I stress maybe that he'd always had them. For Correct. Well yeah, this point. I think it became more apparent here. I think that you just when see they it. Came, right? older, you know. When they came without Paul originally, um, I think that's when it showed a lot. And I think Vince was struggling with them at the beginning of '92, and then the contract thing came up, and he was like, "Well, fuck, like these guys." I, I, gu- I guarantee you, animals like, "Hey, we need Paul." We need yeah, the help. That's exactly. I, I almost guarantee you this guy. Hey, you want to keep making money with us? Because Vince is like, dude, we're selling foam shoulder pads like a motherfucker. I don't want you guys to go. <laughs> but like at the same time, like, yeah, if this guy is going to be like this, I can't have that. And so I think probably Animal was like, uh, yeah, get get Paul in here. Like he's he'll, he'll help. Because Animal would babysit to a degree, but he only takes so much. He talked mm-hmm. about that. And I think it's know. the schedule too. Like I think any other promotion, you've got kind of days off, but there's nothing like the rigors and the schedule and the grind of WWF. So you well, cannot so, several, you cannot escape so it forever. Have, have t- said what somewhere between ten to fourteen days on, and then two to four off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just, that's you tough. It'll it'll get you. You can't burn the candle at both ends at that like at pace. Well, and and your party and after every match and you know that, that's the big thing, right? The work schedule is bad, but let's face it. And I'm not trying to shit on wrestlers because like this is how they make their money. That that choice that you make as an adult of yeah. I'm going to go to bed. You can just go back to the hotel. <laughs> does not they? You know what I mean? They're away from their families. They're around other macho men that are yes. fucking pumped up like they yeah. are. They go into a bar. There's you know groupies there there's fucking everything else there's people going like you want a little sniff sniff and the diff diff and they're like sure like fuck you know you we see hawk they're still feeling that angelin from the crowd yeah exactly house show you know like they're just fucking still, still high want to get that high yeah you want to get that high yeah and they, the gym, they don't want to go to bed and come down after so it's like they can't make that adult decision. We're going to go to bed at nine o'clock and then we're going to wake up at fucking five and catch our plane or whatever. Or yeah. we're going to wake up at four, work out, then catch our plane. That shit does not cross their mind. It's like, yeah, they get they start partying and shit like that. And so that didn't help. And that was their choice. Ultimately, even though the environment egged it on, it's still their choice. And so I think that's the difference between today's locker room where what we always heard like over the last 10 years, like, oh, all the guys fucking do now is sit and play video games and shit or play on their tablets and shit. I'm like, yeah, as opposed to fucking doing blow and staying yeah. up all fucking night long and drinking yeah. their ass I'll off. I'll probably live past yeah. 42 also. Imagine right. 
Well, we're getting two guys right here are the perfect example, unfortunately. Uh, and I'm not shitting on Animal because Animal was never reported as a partier. But no, come on, like he did he did the roids, he did all but that stuff did, yeah. too. And I'm not saying he didn't party at all. He was just a lot more mature about it or private like about it. You know, whereas he, Hawk didn't, he just, didn't take it over the edge every night. That's yeah, Hawk was just like, like no. We're in the big times, right? We got to get Paul back here. He's the only one that could fucking steer this ship right. And Vince is like, fine, fucking bring Paul in. Well, I don't care. Well, Vince, Vince goes fine, but I'm going to find a way to mess it up. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about that right now. So things go south very quickly. Right Vince wanted them to introduce a ventriloquist dummy named Rocco because basically Vince found out that Paul was a ventriloquist and saw merchandise money. So I guess they were going to sell a lot of Rocco dolls. I, I They did a vignette where the three returned to their roots in Chicago and found an old dummy, which was their childhood toy, in the wreckage of their childhood home. Paul picked it up and said he would restore Rocco and bring it to the ring as inspiration. Literally brings this stupid freaking dummy to the ring tied to the bike at one point. That's what I remember seeing. I'm like, what is this? This is a piece of the puzzle that was missing. That no longer is. You think we were sick before? Well, you ain't seen Nothing yet. You will never get the best of us. Only the worst, because we've always earned our money. The old-fashioned way we beat people for it. Um, they would make the so dummy speak and cheer melody during the matches. The, he brought it to the ring with, the, with his hand up Rocco's ass, and... He would literally look in the camera and be like, come on. And he would do his ventriloquist shit to not make his lips move, but make Rocco talk and be like, come on, LOD, let's go. And like, it was just awful. It was fucking awful. And as a fan, I was like, how do you find a way to neuter the greatest tag team of all time? And the most intimidating looking tag team of all time, you put a fucking ventriloquist dummy in the corner as their manager, basically. Like, what the fuck is happening? Like, yeah, it was it was WWF, right? Like for good or bad. All over the world vomited. Just yeah, his words. And Vince cash checks of all the yeah, fucking right. merch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, he man, didn't man, give how many of those they sold, by the way? Four. Five. <laughs> uh, LOD was supposed to face the natural disasters for the WWE tag titles at SummerSlam in 92 in Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 fans. About a month before the pay-per-view, Hawk began to show signs of major drug abuse and was losing control. Vince, I got an idea. Like, uh, shit. Um, he got an idea. <laughs> We're not losing ever. Ever. Uh, like, um, and that's pretty much what it was. Vince! I can just see him. He I have an idea. We're going to win every match in 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. right. Everyone's Someone just, get Hawk. <laughs> Everyone's just getting the clothesline. That's it. Can Rocco go? Can Rocco go if Hawk can't? Can Rocco go? <laughs> Rocco's going to pin everyone. Um, yeah. Uh, he became very confrontational towards management and definitely Vince himself. The decision was made to but remove LOD from the title picture and face Money Eek in the opener of SummerSlam. That decision and Rocco gimmick caused Hawk to resign after SummerSlam. I mean, the, the the big thing about this, I think anyone else, Vince would have just said, fuck it, you're off the pay-per-view. But because it's it's Legion of Doom, he's like, well, we already sold yeah. 80,000. We're going to demote you to the opening match, like, you know, which is still fine. And dare I say, uh, it was a it, it was their best entrance ever. The Harleys was cool. This is 1992. You know, now you except for Rocco strapped to the yeah, front, but okay. Triple H coming out with 25 Terminators. But 
Like it you know, <laughs> back here, it was like a simple set in '92, and then like to see the opening match, the crowd's super hype because they haven't seen a match yet, really, except for the dark matches, and they're ready to go. And the LOD walks out in the opening, you know, thing, and they drive out on Harley's. Like that I'll never ass. forget that image. Like I know yeah. it's not their finest moment in the sense that we'll talk about the way Hawk, the condition of Hawk, and the fact they had a goddamn fucking stupid dummy uh, coming down to the ring with them. But I mean, like I will. Re- I always remember the visual when we watch it live on pay-per-view of LOD coming out that fucking crowd 80,000 people knew who they were and this goes way beyond the WWF reach they were world famous before that people knew who the Road Warriors were and then of course the couple years they were with WWF of course they get national notoriety on top of that I mean they were world traveled in Japan like we talked about every every territory um it was really cool as a fan I will that's my favorite moment of them and that's why I posted it on our Instagram account uh, when animal died because uh to me like that was like glorious and again you gotta ignore the dummy on the strap to the bike of paul ellering and all that but like it was cool as shit man you go back and watch it i'll sometimes just watch that entrance for no reason And just it's awesome. It's really cool. And we're going to get into the unfortunate shit that was going on behind the scenes while that happened. But um, it just was I don't know. I always remember that. Like in my mind, when I think LOD. I don't know why I always think them coming down to that massive crowd in the daylight. No special lights, no trick effects, nothing. And it was just fucking 80,000 people, all of them chanting LOD after the match started and Hawk looking around at them and just kind of like. I don't know. You know, I know they're all mentally probably in weird places at that point because the end is near. But at the same time, like, it's just sort of like as a fan, we didn't know what was going on behind the curtain. Right. I just remember that glorious moment when they came out there in London. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we knew. Like, everyone talks about how Hawk was uh, he almost couldn't compete that day. But like, I don't think we recognized it at all. And we didn't know until years and years later. Just like Bulldog. Couldn't tell. (laughs) What? What? I I said like it was the the finish of the game. If he puts you up in it, he's going to fall. If he tries to climb the ropes, he's going to fall. Yeah, yeah, we were talking, and they talk about it on Dark Side of the Ring, the the last ride with LOD. But what happened was, yeah, Hawk fucking is in the back and pops more than enough somas to probably put an elephant to sleep, and washes it down with a beverage, and right before they wrestle. So already Animal's annoyed because he's like, he he is fucked up, like, and so he's slurring and he's not acting right, and so yeah, they were just sort of like, we got to go out there and we got to get this done they were talking about doing the doomsday device for the finisher and they were just sort of like animals like he can't do it like he'll fall off the top rope he can't do it and so i think they prep for it and they, but like uh i think irs knocked him off the rope or something like that so they covered well and i think the ending came when animal power slammed dibiase and pinned him if i'm if i'm remembering um so it was not a typical finish lod wins but like it was not the doomsday device. It was not what you normally would see from them. And uh, you could it's I go back and I desperately try to watch. And if I'm looking hard, I think I see Hawk fucked up. But you couldn't tell. You but that's tell. how good Hawk He's was. He's so jacked anyway. Um, yeah. He's so jacked up. That, but that's how good the other pros were, right? Animal, IRS, and DiBiase had to cover for that shit. And they had to work a match. And it wasn't a short match either. It was a decent length for an opener. And it's just it's crazy. We had no yeah, idea as fans that shit was going on, man. Like we had no idea.
the Hawk was in big trouble. Even worse, it's like, I don't know how many times you say it, that shit would never happen now. Like, right. if someone saw that in the back, yeah. they'd be like, I'm not going out there with you. Like, no way. I don't yeah. care how much money is on the line. But instead, it was operation like, don't tell Vince and get fucking DBS and IRS in here. And what the fuck are we going to do? Like, it was just sort of like that. And they made it work. And they, Hawk rode a goddamn Harley, like, down to the ring. Yeah. Yeah, that's really scary. You, I, you know what? It. That's so funny. Like, if he can ride a Harley the length of a football field to the ring straight, like, you can do the doomsday device. <laughs> <laughs> I do this shit all the time. But obviously, it seems like Hawk didn't give a shit. He, while he was in London, he went AWOL um, after the pay-per-view. He no-showed the rest of his European tour dates, missed his flight back to the U.S. Animal was not going to do that. He was going to honor the dates. So he was forced to wrestle handicap matches or take on random partners to fulfill the dates that he had agreed to. In this in this time frame, he severely hurt his back on the tour um, aggravating that back issue that was already ongoing, uh, but he had not addressed it. He'd be forced out of action for several months and was let go from the WWF. And that sucks for Animal. Like he's side just trying note, to fulfill the date. Trying to do his side job. note, I didn't put it in, but I read it on Wikipedia, and I think it's fucking hilarious yeah. that when Animal went uh, AWOL, uh, so did Berserker, which just fucking uh, uh, Hawk and uh, Berserker went AWOL. Or the, the Barbarian. Night. Yeah, yeah. Like it, so, yeah. It's fucking funny because I'm like, well, yeah, of course him. And like, but then hockey him just hush, hush, like they're fucking going out <laughs> party, just imagine like that, just hush, like all through London, all yeah, yeah, party. Yeah, you know what I? Yeah. Behind him, like, to- totally, totally off topic, but I, I, I don't think I realized it till now. But the Berserker was just kind of like a, a dub piece of Bruiser Brody, right? Uh, yes, but Scott, uh, nor, uh, he was uh, Nord the Barbarian. I think he was in a lot of territories, and I'm trying to remember his real name, and it's escaping me right now. But I've, actually, I've seen a, video of Bruiser doing the same thing He was a fucking decent hand. worker. Was... He was actually legit. You know, when he gets in WWF, he's a little, you know, cartoony, of course. But, uh, but well, he was Nord go. the Barbarian was a, was a, a tough dude. Like, he was really yeah. was. Yeah. He was like a Scott Norton type. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, so the Hellraiser is funny more... that he... Him and Hawk were just like, who wants yeah. to hang out with me? Huh? Like in the corner, and he's like, come on. Like, it's like Jerry Maguire. Who's going with me? And yeah. Huh? Like in the corner, come on, let's go. We'll fucking I'm make this the work. Fish. Yeah. We'll get fucked up together in Europe. I love I, Berserker. It's in my head now forever. Like Hawk and Berserker drinking and doing coke together. It's like, ah, huss. I'm trying to say something here. Huss. Sirs, we're getting a lot of complaints. Can you please leave the bar? <laughs> uh, with Animal out of action and, and Hawk acting out on his own, he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling and formed a new tag team with the Japanese wrestler uh, Kazuki Sasaki. Sorry if I said that wrong. Who was dubbed the Power Warrior. Their team name would be the Hellraisers. The only issue is that Hawk was using the Road Warrior look and gimmick with that team. Suzaki wore face paint and shoulder pads. This caused a major issue between Hawk and Animal because As Animal did not know Hawk was going to pick another partner and have him dress like a freaking Road Warrior. That's a hell of a betrayal. It really yeah. is. He really just didn't care, right? But dare I say, the Hellraisers were fucking cool as shit. And uh, like I love them in New Japan. I would always when I tape traded, I got a lot of their shit. Like they were they were cool as shit. Um, even though I loved Animal as well. Again, as a fan, I didn't really know that was going on. I just thought that they split up and then that was it. And I think I might have read in like 
like early dirt sheets that Animal was injured. But um, as a fan, I was like, "Fuck, that's fucking Hellraiser's a cool name. It's fucking cool." And yeah. Kentucky Sasaki like went on to become a really big Japanese legend. And Dave's gonna read on that this actually gave him the rub. They were still popular. Uh, Road Warriors were in Japan, so hot going over there brought yeah. you know half of the LOD over there slash Road Warriors, and people still remembered him. And you know, and, and he was getting all that national notoriety from WWF as well. So Japanese crowd did not forget about him and so uh the hellraisers were pretty cool i know it's we're not we're talking about fucking everything like and i don't even remember who won i think it was some bullshit finish i think where animal and hawk won or something like that but i mean it didn't even matter as a fan i was like i am watching and i remember thinking like these two they're fucking hitting each other hard like they're not because they respected each other but they were just like they were doing it if does that make sense like they were getting out there and they're like we're just gonna fucking throw shit and you're going to take shit, and so are we. And they're like, that's, that's fine. Just call it in the ring. We're going to do it. Like, oh! He nailed him! He nailed him! Cheap shot maneuver! He's going to drink a glass of water, and there's going to be squirting out of his cheek tonight, baby! Cheap shot maneuver by the Road Warriors! Surprising, but this was a battle for survival! As these guys get ready! Like, and it was cool to watch four professionals like that, arguably the two greatest tag teams ever, if you want to get on that level, uh, just doing some shit mm -hmm. in a non-advertised match out of nowhere to make Bischoff's penis hard. That's yeah. basically and I'm sure what Bischoff it was. Not even respecting him during the match, right. talking about later on tonight, the NWO, like, how will they come back? Like, like no, back there, the actual... was the Dungeon of Doom and the Giant are going to be interviewed about Hulk Hogan well, later. Now that he's oh, got you that there. Point? Oh, my God. Oh, he's a gotta, superplex he's from the roof. You, he's anyway. got to keep you there. Uh, <laughs> He got you to change yeah. the channel. Now he's got to keep you. But so I, I didn't mean to ramble on about that match, but it, it that is another match significant that I remember about LOD history because as a fan, I was like, what the fuck am I watching right now? In this a good is, way. I was like, this what is the really fuck interesting though, because right the now? run, the run only lasted six months because Hawk and Animal wanted high contracts. And it seems like it's deservedly so. They were on a month to month uh, since they returned back. But so, Bischoff oh, felt that oh, they were oh, not oh, worth oh, the oh, money. Oh, they left there? in the summer of 96. Is that right? Wrong? What do you, no, that's what right, do you but, uh, uh, you know, it's funny how you say that they deserve the contract because they're, um, oh, I don't know, the fucking Road Warriors. Like, but then Bischoff, again, it takes an arrogant guy, right, to make a company work. We were just talking about how Vince was. He was super yeah. arrogant, and this is my land, my country. You come here, you do what I want to do. But, like, Bischoff was the first guy to take that attitude when he competed with Vince and who beat Vince for 83 so weeks. I'm not doing that. So, but yeah, and he was just like, Road Warriors, like, we want a lot yeah. of money, and he's like, eh. Okay, so does everybody else. Yeah. And he, they're just like, you're not going to pay us? He's like, nope. I, I hate to say it, but I mean, right. they just didn't fit into what his plans were, right? Well, probably not. I think they, they were proven unreliable, too, at that point. Why would yeah, you? I was yeah. wondering about that, too. It could have been the unreliability as well. Yeah. So. And you had a yeah. pool of talents that you could you know, make future stars out of. Yeah. Yeah. So. There you go. In February 97, LOD makes a surprise return on Monday Night yeah, Raw to face the Headbangers. Was that a one-off? No, they no, came back they, for yeah, they came and resigned. Yeah. Yeah. Which is odd because the match do you remember cuz the match ended in a double count out for no Yeah, that fun. I don't remember. And, and then they get the Yeah, they surprise wow, returned tough, in man. 97 and the match was actually way more competitive than it needed to be. Yeah. And then as I'm the saying headbangers are tough. The count out. <laughs> yeah, and I was like what the fuck and then I think they did the doomsday after the match it on. Sounds the like a Sounds like a Vince Power move. Is back, and I'm like, they're back to get counted out. Like, what the fuck is happening here? The so big bad headbangers against yeah, Vince. That's VKM all day long. Ah, that's what that ah, is. 
Bosh is our Bosh powerhouse. And the other guy for middle. Bosh stops him, bro. That's your answer. <laughs> In February 97, LOD makes... I'm sorry, uh, same line. In WrestleMania 13, the LOD team with Ahmed Johnson and defeated yeah, the Nation of Domination in a Chicago street fight. Pretty fun match pretty there. Yeah, I it loved it. Really you know, it, obviously everybody talks about Brett and Austin um, and the, their match stunk up the joint. Jesus. And... Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I, that street fight was really fucking fun. Like, yeah. I remember... The, didn't Ahmed do the pro River plunge on the fucking table on the outside? Yeah. To Delo or someone. I don't remember. But it was cool because... You can say what you want about Ahmed Johnson. He's fucking sloppy and horrible. But like when they came out, they gave uh, uh, yeah, shoulder pads. Johnson shoulder pads. Yeah. And when all three of them came out, and it was in Chicago, badass. Like the place went nuts. Like yeah, yeah. the place went fucking. Go back and watch their <laughs> entrance. Like in. yeah, like all three. Was he carrying a fucking two by four Ahmed as well? Like Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, the place went nuts. Like when they came out, and like it was in Chicago, and it was um, oh. yeah, it was just awesome to see all three in shoulder pads. Ahmed fit in perfect. <laughs> They yeah. both. It was a good match too. Like Nation held up their end of the bargain, and like it was a good street fight. It was just a. Lo- I remember it being a lot of fun in WrestleMania 13. Tune in next week. The Legend of Ahmed Johnson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. He was misunderstood. He really was. Uh, but we really, we really should do a Legends episode on the next guys. On uh, October 3rd of 97, the LOD defeated the Godwins yeah. to become two-time WWF Tag Team Champions. But a month later, they would lose those titles to an upstart team of Billy Gunn and Jesse James. They would become the New Age Outlaws and eventually join DX. LOD would feud for a few months with them chasing the tag titles, but never winning them back. They do that stupid angle. You yeah, know what, though? This is what I, whether they knew it or not, and whether Vince knew he was doing this or not, this was the appropriate usage of LOD. And They're on look their way what, out. Yeah, they yeah. feuded for a three. You know, they're in there with the veteran team like LOD. You're going to learn something. And uh, yeah, you know, it was the the after their prime LOD. And, you know, they got beat down a lot. But like it, that was a really key factor in the New Age Outlaws becoming a part of DX and yes. just getting over at the time um, their feud with LOD. And so I really remember that before their feud with Cactus Jack and Terry Funk and that whole thing. It was LOD. That was in there. And and I was just as a fan, I was like, God, you know, LOD, I remember them being so invincible. But by here they were not invincible, right? Like yeah. they were they were just yeah. another tag team. I hate that to say it here. And Vince was trying to make new stars and he did not want to do what WCW was doing before the NWO, which is just trying to get older stars over again. Like Vince was like, No, I gotta use those guys to make new stars. And they and they struck gold with New Age Outlaws and they yeah, just caught fire and uh, you know, a road dog got really good on the mic and had a good personality and did the whole, oh, you didn't know. And that was awesome. Yeah. And they were learning all that shit here with LOD. So LOD played a big part in the development early on of the New Age Outlaws, whether they knew it or not. Um, I hope they knew it because I really want to think that LOD was giving back because I, I do love LOD. And we're obviously talking about them because we all like them, respect them yeah. to a certain point. But I do think about this period as I was as a fan at the time, I was disappointed because you're just watching the storyline. Right. But like in and, and I knew who they were. 
But now I look back going like, I really hope that they were cool with putting the New Age Outlaws over because that's what wrestling is. You know, you get to that point where your star starts to get dim, right? And then the bright star comes up over it and you're like, I got to. I gotta ask him probably uh, got, a lot of the reason behind him. Bischoff's uh, decision. Nope, not gonna pay you that. Yeah, you're right. And maybe you know. Bischoff was right. Well, I mean, he roared right that. in three weeks shortly he after. He knew already. So, yeah, he knew things. So, um, but yeah, it's just like, and Vince knew it too. I think Vince brought him in for their name value yeah. and knew that people knew them and they would get good pops and maybe that quarter hour Still would get some good team. ratings with them. But at this point, like they were just, they were here to make new stars. It wasn't about LED anymore. So their second yeah. tag team title reign ended quickly. Um, I'm glad they had it. But at the same yeah. time, it's a nod to them, you know, yeah, and they, and they get a little time off taking off TV, too. They, they do a few to the back after they uh, fail to beat the outlaws for, you know, yeah, it was like the last it was like a, some Monday Night Raw match. They hyped and at the yeah. end, they started brawling with each other because they were so they get a little two month hiatus, you know, to to regroup. And they were brought back as a surprise entrance in a tag team battle royal at WrestleMania 14. Yeah. They were renamed LOD 2000 with an updated look yeah, and Sonny as their manager. Sunny, that yeah, never hurts. Yeah, it's so fucking bad. Animal wore short tights no, while Hawk stayed in their hot. traditional long tights. Their shoulder pads were altered and they wore fucking motorcycle helmets to the so ring. Rude. But that didn't stop them from winning the Battle Royal. Sonny would only manage it for a short time. After that, uh, Draws would be brought in as a potential third member, similar to Crush with Demolition in 1990. Hawk behind the scenes was getting way worse with his drug abuse. As a result, the WWE thought it would be fun to make it a storyline. This is, I don't know. I, I've never been a fan of, I, I know things get close to life, but for a fan of nope, the Dave, drug abuse. You, there? Hmm? you are not incorrect by feeling uncomfortable and hating it. This was garbage. And yeah. like this, they did the same thing in WCW, probably around the same time, if not a little later with Scott Hall. Yeah, with Scott Hall, yeah. And yes. it's, it's junk. It's garbage. Yeah, it dumb. Like there's no place in wrestling for this at all. Yeah. Uh, so Hawk would show up to wrestle quote unquote drunk and Draws would try to stop him. This led to jealousy from Hawk who, who accused animal of wanting Draws to replace him. This led to the infamous segment on raw where Hawk climbed to the top of the Titan Tron and threatened to jump off and Draws climbed up and he said he was making a trip to talk to him, but it appeared that he pushed him. The deal where they made up, made pretend he was going to go up to the Titan Tron and help Hawk. And Hawk had all his demons there else, and he was drunk up there. And when he really went to go grab him, he really went and pushed him. Get a shirt. No. Oh, oh, what? You know, to be honest with you, I didn't really have it in me to want to do the angle who was too close to what was going on in real life. And that bothered me. Remember that? Kind of cliffhanger. Yeah. It was like, I was going up to help him, but he pushed him, and it was really weird. And they dropped the angle really quick because it did it flopped. And uh, yeah. I got a lot of complaints and like and Hawk and Animal behind the scenes hated it. And they were just like, we just were done. We'd be swan out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and they I make scattered appearances good. after that, but they leave the company in 1999. So they were they were named LOD 2000, but never got to 2000. That's right. What you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so. you're right. 
going back huh. to the title thing, I bet it was Draws messing up, and he had to like he had to pretend that he was trying to enact and like Hawk right. fell backwards, but he, he overplayed it, and it looked like he did push him. His draw. You're terrible. probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, they just messed it up. So. So we're jumping into the indie circuit, and we're going to get into some tough stuff here. The Road Warriors would tour Japan, make various indie shows for a few years. On May 23rd of 2000, of, uh, of 2000 right? Because you have yeah. this 20. It's not 2020, obviously. Sorry, sorry. They made a surprise appearance and challenged the WWE Tag Champions, Kane and RVD. They would lose the match, but right? fans welcomed them back. It was around Kane and RVD. Or- oh, 523, 2003? It was okay. 2003. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, they hoped that would lead to a full-time contract, but the WWE never came a ring in, so that was the one-off I was thinking of. I remember that match. It, that, that sticks out in my mind, too, when they came back in surprise, and Kane and yeah. RVD beat them, but like, it was like, holy shit, LOD. Like, it's still here. And Kane will defend their tag team championships here tonight! Uh-oh! Here tonight? That's good! Against a team that they've never faced before. Never faced. That? A team that may be one of the best, if not the best, tag team in the history of our industry. What are you talking about, Derek? <sighs> Yeah, they still it was, it was crazy. So in 2001, Michael actually began to clean up his life as Hawk. Obviously, he quit drugs and alcohol. He found religion, and then on October 29th of 2003, Hawk was found dead in his Florida home by his wife. He was only 46 years old. The night before he died, uh, it was 1 a.m. when they figured out when his wife went and checked on him. Uh, they had, I guess, they had bought a condo that was like close to their home. So they were packing up stuff from their regular home to put in the condo to furnish it. You know, I guess they were going to own two homes or whatever and have a little condo probably by the water or whatever. Sure. Um, so the night before, Hawk was like lifting heavy boxes and shit and, you know, packing stuff. And he told his wife, like, uh, I don't feel so good. I'm going to go take a nap. And this was like late in the evening. She's like, OK. So he went up and took a nap and she didn't bother him. She left him alone for a while. And then like at 1 a.m., she checked on him. And I don't know if she was sleeping and she woke up and checked on him or she was up doing whatever till 1 a.m., she went up there and he was dead. He was non-responsive. Yeah, cause of death was a massive heart attack. Yeah. Um, horrible, horrible stuff. But I hate to say what what you no do surprise, to your body. Right? No surprise, right? I mean, not surprised. no surprise. Yeah. He was hey, unapologetic. I, he lived hard. He just did. He from from the very first time he started, he was unapologetic in everything he did and all the stuff he abused. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> tragedy. Not inspected. I'm glad and, though. In in a couple years before, one year before, he found peace and he was trying to be better. Yeah. <laughs> I think the That's wife had. Um, he was married before and divorced. I think he married that wife in '98, and then probably went through a lot of problems with her, and you know, but figured it out. It. They were just trying to figure out life, you know, and yeah. I, they were wrapping up the wrestling career. They had to have been at this point, and yeah, um, yeah it's fucking died in his sleep. Yeah. That's why it's more sad when the wrestler, you know, like same with Warrior, you know, they all clean up and, you know, try to make amends with, you know, the, the past Warrior Macho like Man was, was yeah. on the right track. And that's what's sad um, about it when it happens yeah. like that. Yeah. When they're like, ah, you, you know, argue, Eddie was on the right track when he, all of them, when he yeah. died too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, it's tough. Well, I mean, it's the stories that we late. talked about, you know, just the incident where he threw Soma's down and fucking rode a bike out. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was 46. We're going to get to, I think, or maybe I put it here. He was only 46 years old. When he died. Yeah. Like yeah. that's insane. That that's a lot of abuse on your body. And you yeah. got to know that he was, I mean, doing a ton of roids. He was doing a ton of Coke in the eighties. Like then he gets into pain medication, washing it down with alcohol uh, still doing steroids, still doing everything. It's what a shame he died at 46, but it's a miracle he lived to fucking 46. Yeah, like, yeah, God, yeah. It's yeah. always when they get clean, right? Because your body's just, you take so time off your body and you don't know you take time off your body. And then when it's your time, ding, ding, like that's it. And his heart's like, I'm done. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. and he lived four lifetimes. Like he traveled the world. Like, yeah. I mean, that's good. I don't, I bet he would that. have no regrets. Got a lot done. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, that's not true. I like I'm speaking for that's terrible. Yeah, he has no regrets. I talked to him. <laughs> He's um, fine. Well, <laughs> so, some, some people doing? ask if you would do it all over again, would you? He'd probably say, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like yeah. to, to, to I the mean, point, the money, the fun, the accolades. Uh, the 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 in the roughest you know? bar in Minnesota. Like he did yeah. fine. Could have just done that all your life. molded him to be what led them to success. You can argue you work in that bouncing club long enough. Someone's going to hit kill you anyway. He loved chaos. He, yeah, he, yeah. he gravitated towards it every day. It looked like even that's who that's what made him. And what's more chaotic than the wrestling business? <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah. Especially back then. <laughs> yeah. Animal returned to the WWE in 2005. He took on a new partner in Heidenreich. I'm sorry about that. Heidenreich. They won the WWE SmackDown tag titles on July 24th of 2005 at the great American bash. Animal would dedicate the win to Hawk. Super cool. A short time later, Heidenreich would put on the face paint and be awarded Hawk's shoulder pads. Animal declared him officially as a member of LOD as further tribute to Hawk. Animal would return to Japan in 2007 to team again with Sasaki, renamed their team to the Hell Warriors. In 2011, the LOD and Paul Ehring, Paul Ehring were in, inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Seems long overdue. And then we get to what we what we just were talking about a couple of days ago on September 20th, 2020. Animal passes away at the age of 60 years old. And everyone says, honestly, it's it's just old age. Um, Natural causes at 60. Come on. I, yeah, I don't I don't it's believe all it. All the years of use. He just didn't do as much as Hawks. So no, right. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm not <clears throat> shitting on him like he was doing no, something that no, nobody no. knew. Uh, you know, the the heavy lifting, the fucking. What steroids. he did to get his the body in that shape of steroids, traveling. right? Like, they probably, yeah, yeah, like you know, drinking stuff. That was the number yeah. on the body, you know? He so. just wasn't I mean, as, like, he wasn't over top partier like Hawk was. Hawk was the talk yeah. of everybody the next day, usually. Animal was very reserved. I'm not saying he did anything wrong, right? He no. didn't at all. Yeah. But that when you steroid yourself like that, shit, dude, you're going to pay yeah. the price some, you know, 60 years old, man. Like, yeah. what, what hurts God. the most about that is, like, from all accounts, I mean, he was the responsible one. There was a thing about he stayed with his wife in the early days when uh, he had a child. He was a Christian. Uh, raised a son that played six years in the NFL. Yep. Uh, seemed like yeah. a level head. Like he should have been able to live out kind of his golden years. But like I think, Jess, you talk a lot about personal responsibility, and it's it's it really is true. I think they all get in kind of knowing what it is. So the Road Warriors are finally oh, yeah. back together. You guys ready to get into the championships and accomplishments? Yes. Yeah. Here we go. It's a lot of stuff. They were an all Japan tag team champion 
AWA Tag Team Championship they took down, the NWA Tag Team Championships, NWA Six-Man Tag Team Championships three times. They are a two-time WWF Tag Team Champion. They are the winners of the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup in 1986. They were the PWI Tag Team of the Year in 1983, 84, 85, and 88. Wow. I don't know know who has more. That's impressive. Um, They're ranked the number one tag team in the PWI 500 all-time list in 2003, Wrestling Observer Rookies of the Year in 1983, Tag Team of the Year in the Observer in 1984. They were in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame in 1996 when they're still going <laughs> and they were in the WWE hall of fame finally in 2011. Oof. I know there's been a lot of tag teams and naturally as time progresses, right. And the sport evolves and, and all that, there's going to be other wrestlers. It's hard to pinpoint and say that wrestler is the greatest of all time, or that tag team is the greatest of all time. I, I, I don't know what their long-lasting effect was on wrestlers. Because everybody, there was no one like them after them. Nobody. I, I can't think of a tag team that, no. that w- of significance that was like them at all. <laughs> no one would disagree. And two quick things yeah. we have not talked about this entire time. We, uh, we talked about how big and bruisey they were and they wouldn't lose anyone, but how good Hawk was on the mic and promos. He actually was. And, yeah. Yes. And so that and component cool we never too. actually talked about, but like he was amazing um, on the mic and with promos. And then the second thing, just uh, I think Jess said it all, but uh, how often they were uh, imitated but never duplicated with That's guys term, that man. like demolition got close and surpassed them in their own different way, where they separated from what they you thought they were they were trying to be with Road Warriors, but from Powers of Pain to Ascension, sadly to everyone else who put face paint on, they would always be compared uh, to these guys that um, that that did it all. And I think that's you a testament to, to like how good they were too. Like yeah. they just were the originals, and you could not photocopy them. Well, and you needed the, that all that stuff to kind of mold them. That's what made them the legend. Like I mean, even the things of like. We're coming here and we're not losing and we're not getting knocked off our feet. All that stuff. Mo- like, can you imagine if they were just known as the guys like, oh, yeah, we're going to come in and yeah, you're going to throw us off the top rope and you're going to pin us one, two, three. Right. Like if they were like that, yeah. you you'd never hear yeah. them. But or all those guys, components, you, you know, stuff in if you want, you guys do a double drop kick. Yeah. I'll kick me fucking. Yeah. yeah. Down, Joe, you have with one hand, throw me over the ring, dominate us. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> yeah. You would never hear about it. Oh, you because do, all so you do chain wrestling. You want to do that for 10 minutes with me? Yeah. Okay. They were like, yeah, have you seen so. us? Like, no, you're not doing any of that. Have you looked at us? No, you're not doing that. Like, yeah. yeah but you a, needed all that to mold their character and their persona and like how they were in real life. And then that bled into the ring. Like and that, it, that wouldn't have worked. They, they wouldn't be who they are now. If you know it what wasn't the, for some of those negatives to yeah, go with the positives. Searching for is like, they were not ran out of the territories, right? You yeah. would think selfish wrestler would be like, get the fuck out of here. And they would just go. They <laughs> did not. Yeah. They came in, had that attitude, said, we're not losing. We're going to get knocked to our yeah. feet. Were like, okay, all right. But you need those stories too. I took Somas before SummerSlam. Like you, I hate to say <laughs> it, but like that's what makes the legends of each of them, and that's what made that team just like, I don't know, legendary and, and epic. And and all, like I said, you mix the negative and positive stuff. So, if you didn't have some of those negative things, you those legendary stories behind the scenes, they might not. Yeah. Have been tell me that. Today. Tell me that you guys didn't get like the chill, you know, on the back of your neck every time you heard like, oh, oh yeah. Rush, and the music would hit. Too, 
SummerSlam. Every time, man, I got the chills. Every it's still time. one of my favorites. Because you knew that these guys weren't going to put anybody in a fucking arm bar for two minutes. Like, they were going to come down there. They were going to stomp the shit out of somebody. They were going to power slam them. They were, they were going to put well, them in the Well, for me, as a kid, you know, obviously, it was gonna you know, I'm going to sing yeah, this tune all the time. A lot of people uh, forgot about their famous saying, Craig, you know, oh, what a rush. Uh, you know, uh, what, what uh, would Hawk say? A, 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 a uh, fuck. A good trip for us, a bum trip for you. Like, you know, like he was, I can't remember. I think I messed that up a little bit. But also, I don't, I think they both said it, but Hawk might have originated it. We snack on danger and dine on death was a big one. This machine writes no checks. It can't cash. Tell them, animal. Beverly Brothers, you've been spoiled all your lives. You've had the best teachers in the World Wrestling Federation. But now, get ready, because to us, you're a stepping stone to the WWF title. Tell them, There are many differences between you and us. For instance, you get pedicures at the beauty shop, and we take our nails and chop them off with an axe. You know something, Beverly Brothers? You're in for a lot of pain. In the Crockett promotion, that was a big saying of theirs. And uh, so yeah, cool. like I'm glad Craig brought that up, because yeah, Hawk was awesome. You know, Animal was good, too, Hawk was but great. Hawk was like... He had a little but, bit more personality and color to yeah. his stuff. and That's why Animal always went first, because Hawk was better. Like, yeah. I think that's why we're doing this now. I think that's why people are rehashing. There's two people to a tag team. So when Hawk died, I do remember as much, you know, a lot of people paid tribute to LOD, and now we're doing it again in 2020, and they absolutely deserve it. They, they really do. And rightfully so. I just picture them doing the Doomsday Device to St. Peter at the gates. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Hit us up on Instagram like, at OWP. When they got up to heaven, Dusty's like, You guys, hey, how you doing? And they're like, Hey, Dusty, oh my God. I'm so I'm glad to see you the again. Next time you're going to do. You're going to do Dusty's the like, device. Do, let me tell you something right now. Get the spike, do the thing to the eye again. It'll work <laughs> up here. Jesus, this, 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 yeah. joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it was groundbreaking. Sorry, God is trying to, you know, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. Now part of the WrestleHub family, all about wrestling podcast. Catch them at the Russell Hub on YouTube and Instagram. This is Dave, Jess, and Cuz, and Craig with the OWP signing off. Have a good one.